This is Chris Hargraves and welcome to Tips for Lawyers podcast episode 39. It being episode 39, you can find the show notes at tipsforlawyers.com slash podcast slash 39 and there'll be probably a few things to link this time around, but before I get into today's episode, I did want to remind you that the Tips for Lawyers course called Essentials is still available for free and you can access that at tipsforlawyers.com slash essentials. It is a frankly fantastic course, if I do say so myself. It is valuable. It is a core skills test, essentially, for young lawyers. What does it do? It goes through the fundamental skills that, in my view, a lawyer needs to have in order to serve their clients properly. There are four that I've identified. Check out the link. Have a look at the sign-up page. It is free. You get access to the course. You'll get some emails from me to help you along the way. And I think it's a valuable lesson and series of lessons to be learned. So I would invite you to check out the Tips for Lawyers Essentials course. The next thing I would invite you to do, if you had a minute, is to go to tipsforlawyers.com slash iTunes and leave a review, leave a ranking, leave a comment. Hopefully it'll be five stars and something like Tips for Lawyers podcast is fantabulous and I love listening to it every time. But if it's not that, then I'll read it anyway and I appreciate honest feedback. So what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about persuasion. It's a big topic and it's one I've decided to do over a couple of episodes. Today I wanted to introduce the topic, explain how it fit into the fundamental elements of legal practice and to start off on a few of the core topics associated with persuasion. So what is persuasion? Persuasion is in reality a subtopic associated with communication and I've spoken about communication before in various ways through written and spoken communication in particular, through listening, through building trust, and there are any number of articles and podcasts that I've done already about that. But persuasion is a specific subset of communication. What do I mean by that? I mean, it is a method of communication designed with a particular purpose in mind. And that particular purpose is, of course, to have the person agree with you. Now, of course, that's easier said than done, and in particular, persuasion comes up in contentious and adversarial roles, but that's not the only context that it comes up. And as we're going to see as we go through these couple of podcasts about persuasion, it is a broad application for any legal practitioner and, frankly, for anyone who is simply alive. At its most fundamental, persuasion is about getting someone to want the same thing that you want. Now, there are various ways of achieving that, of course, and we'll go into some of those. The The most classic example, of course, is that if you are in an armed robbery and if someone is pointing a gun at your head, that is very persuasive. You are convinced to do what they want, which is to hand over your wallet, your jewellery or your money or whatever. And that is one method of persuasion. They are getting you to want what they want. However, as a lawyer, of course, that is not necessarily the best way to go about doing things. And so... What I want to start with is the relevance of persuasion within a legal practice, because it really does come up in a variety of different ways. We've seen, and I've mentioned how it comes up in terms of adversarial roles, but I wonder if you've thought about how it comes up in other roles. 
It comes up, for example, in any sort of role where you are a transactional lawyer, you're seeking to negotiate a contract. Now, that's not necessarily as adversarial. Normally, both people fundamentally want the same thing, but you are, in fact, trying to persuade someone to see your view of things. Perhaps it's to persuade them that your method of drafting a particular clause is correct. Perhaps it's a way of trying to convince them that uh, your client should have X dollars as the purchase price instead of Y dollars as the purchase price. Perhaps it's to say that you should have an extension rather than not having an extension for a particular requirement under a contract. Those are all persuasive elements and you need to be able to persuade them as to why they should, and in particular their client, if you're speaking with a lawyer, should agree with your point of view. And there are various mechanisms that you use to do that. Of course, in an adversarial context, persuasion comes up as well, and it is by far the most readily available because you need to persuade the court or you need to persuade a jury to see your point of view, and persuasion comes up there in your written submissions, it comes up in your ability to draft an effective pleading, it comes up in your ability to conduct a mediation or an arbitration to persuade to persuade through a point of view, through an expression or a mode of communication. And in those circumstances, of course, there is a fundamental goal of trying to persuade someone to accept what your client has to offer or what your client doesn't have to offer or the rightness or wrongness of a particular position. So those are important elements of persuasion. But of course, within advocacy, it comes up as well because you are trying to convince a judge or you are trying to convince a jury, and those can have pretty significant contexts as well. So, persuasion, of course, persuades people to do things, and that is not just something that happens within your strict service of a client. It can happen within your firm and within your practice. What if you need to persuade a clerk of the court to accept a particular document when they weren't inclined to do so? What if you need to persuade someone in your office to do something when they weren't otherwise going to do so? What if you need to persuade your secretary or a clerk or a junior or for for that matter a senior staff member to stay later in the day than they were otherwise intending to do? What if you need to have someone in the mailroom do something when they're incredibly busy? So persuasion takes place within the workplace as well. You need to be persuasive and persuasion cannot just be used in isolation. What do I mean by that? Persuasion takes place in the context of a relationship and that's where inter-office persuasion in particular comes into play. You cannot hope simply to turn up to work day after day after day and exert influence. Influence is very different to persuasion and I want to be very clear about this as we set up this couple of podcasts in relation to persuasion. Persuasion is about getting people to want the same thing that you want. It is not about them doing what you ask them to do simply by virtue of the fact that you are in charge of them. That is a very different thing. And I want to distinguish there specifically because a lot of people think they are persuasive, whereas in fact they are just in charge. And those are very different things. Institutional management and institutional power are not what I want to talk about when it comes to persuasion. So in terms of inter-office persuasion, in particular intra-office persuasion, where you're talking about colleagues and co-workers and subordinates, or for that matter superiors, you're talking about persuasion in a very different context. And I want to make it clear that as a persuasive lawyer, You should be exerting that influence 
both upwards and downwards and sideways. So persuasion is not simply a matter of getting someone to do something by virtue of the fact that they work for you. In reality, that is very similar to the person who holds a gun to the head of the person whose wallet they want that I mentioned before. You are not persuasive in the sense that I'm talking about as an effective advocate, as an effective lawyer, if all you are able to do is to exert institutional power, that is not persuasion. Persuasion does not take place in isolation of relationship, and so we need to respect the fact that sometimes persuasion occurs or someone does something or you exert influence only by virtue of the fact that you have that institutional power and not because you're able to wield any particular persuasive influence. So it is important to distinguish between those things. So, persuasion takes place, I hope I've demonstrated, in many aspects of legal practice. It takes place within the office, it takes place outside the office, it takes place in advocacy, it takes place also though with your client. And I wonder whether you've thought about this. You are not, as I'm sure you know, simply a hired gun. Sometimes your job is to persuade your client to take a course of action, to give you instructions, to do a particular thing that is ultimately in their best interests so far as your expert opinion is concerned. And that is, in fact, a very stressful and a very difficult process on some occasions because there are some clients who refuse to be persuaded and they give you instructions that you are reluctant to accept in some circumstances. Sometimes they give you instructions that you simply cannot accept. And that is a very challenging circumstance. So there are a number of situations where you will need to persuade your client. It is not your job to tell the client what to do, but it is your job to persuade the client sometimes to act in their own best interests when they might not otherwise be inclined to do so. They need, as part of that, as I've come back to now a number of times, to decide for themselves that what you are recommending is the best cause of action. They need to want what you want. And that is where persuasion comes into play. So it is not simply adversarial. It is not simply office politics. It is also an inherent part of your job with your client. And if you cannot be persuasive through the various mechanisms that we're going to discuss in these podcasts with your client, then you run the risk that you will simply become a hired gun. You will simply do what you were told. You will not exercise the persuasion, the influence that you have available to you and that you should be exercising not in some sort of nefarious fashion, but in some sort of fashion that does your client the best. You are to be a trusted advisor. You are to give them the best advice, not simply to do what you were told without offering a persuasive opinion to the contrary. That is possibly the hardest part of persuasion, although it does come up in many different contexts. So where do we start? I've set up why persuasion is important. I've set up how it can, in fact, happen during practice. And really today I just wanted to touch on a core concept or two associated with persuasion. I will flesh out some more details in the next episode. But I think the most important thing we can draw from today is that persuasion does not take place in isolation. You are not necessarily going to be as persuasive as someone you do not know as you are with someone you do know. Persuasion takes place in the context of a relationship, and within the context of a relationship, there are any number of parameters that you need to be aware of. What do I mean by that? One of the relationship parameters is that of seniority. Who, 
out of you and the person you are trying to persuade is the most senior. Now, that might be easy in terms of your firm, but it might not be easy in terms of your client. It might not be easy in terms of external parties. Who wields the influence? And we see this, for example, in courtroom. A very senior lawyer will be given perhaps a greater ear of the court than what a very junior lawyer might be given. And that is because the senior lawyer has established a track record of being persuasive and conscientious, hopefully, and the court will allow them the time to flesh out their argument. So it does take place in context of a relationship, even though it might seem that the matter is very straightforward. The same person could hear two different arguments. A judge might hear an argument from a very junior lawyer and it might be novel and the judge might reject it out of hand because the very junior lawyer is not persuasive by virtue of their relationship with the court by virtue of their seniority. Whereas a very senior lawyer might present the novel argument and the court might be intrigued rather than dismissive. That is because the senior lawyer has the established track record, the relationship with the court, if you can put it that way, not in an unethical way, but in a way that means that they are capable of being more persuasive to the court. And that is a long-term thing sometimes, but it can be a short-term thing. So seniority is an important context of the relationship. Connected with that, however, is trust. Trust is a critical element of persuasion. It is very difficult to have a conversation with someone and persuade them of something if they don't trust you. And that is where clients in particular come into play, but it's also where other people come into play in terms of how readily they are going to be persuaded about your point of view and how much time they may give you to in fact persuade them of a point of view. They will listen to you if you are capable of developing trust, if you are well regarded, if you are known for being open and speaking with frankness and candor. It is upon you to develop that trust with other people. So really what I wanted to leave you with today is this thought and this question. How are your relationships? Because relationships are a core element of persuasion and as we get into things you will see that the relationship stream is going to come back time and time and time again. And I will revisit it, I will flesh it out a little bit more, but Think about how your relationships are. Are you trusted? How are you viewed? How is your intellect viewed? How is your knowledge viewed? How is your frankness viewed? Are you believed by people? Will they give you time to explain your point of view? It's not just about how old you are, how many years you've been in practice, although those are relevant. It is about how much you are trusted, how trustworthy you are. Have you earned your stripes? Have you put in the yards? Have you invested the time in your knowledge, in your institutional knowledge, in your legal knowledge, in your legal skills, so that people will hear what you have to say and that they will start to think as you speak or as you write or as you advise or as you engage? That's what I wanted to leave you with today. This is Tips for Lawyers, episode 39, and we're going to come back to persuasion soon in the next episode, but think about your relationships in the meantime. Are they putting you in the best stead to be persuasive or are they not? Check out the show notes. I'll put a few links in there. I'll put a few comments in there. Tipsforlaws.com slash podcast slash 39. And I will see you next time.